You have found us here in our third week of this sermon series called How to Survive a Shipwreck. And uh, really, it's just an extension of Easter. It's, we're, we're taking some weeks and we're looking at some key passages that have to do with the, the resurrection. Or we're looking at implications of, what, how, of how important the resurrection is to our lives following Jesus. And if it's really true, if it really did happen, then what does it mean? What does that mean for us? Um, I, uh, I haven't been on a lot of boats in my life, okay? I've been on a lot of ferry boats. I grew up on Whidbey Island up in the Puget Sound, so I've got ferry boats down. I've never been on a cruise. Anybody like any cruise people in the room? All right, you dig some cruises? Who like hates cruises? Just put your hands up. Okay, if you, if you're, it's, all, it's like cilantro. Like some people love it, some people hate it, you know? Like that's like cruises. Um, I've never been on a cruise. Uh, uh, Christy and I, on our honeymoon, we did one of those like party boat things, you know? Like we sat through the timeshare presentation, which by the way, Christy and I are experts at sitting through timeshare presentations because we get free stuff, all right? I am willing to sit through hell for four hours to get the free stuff that comes. And so we got like one of those booze cruises, you know, like on our honeymoon and we got to do that. Um, I haven't really spent that much time on a sailboat. Um, most boats I've ever been on have motors on them, and that's a good thing for me because I, th- I think I'd be freaked out to be in the open ocean on a sailboat. Any, anybody, anybody maybe guess the reason why I would be freaked out? Maybe it's the same reason you'd be freaked out to be on a sailboat out in the middle of, of open water. What, 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 what do you think? Capsize? No, no, I'm not afraid. Sharks! Come on, of course. Oh, I'm scared to death of sharks. Seriously, like just swimming... You would, you would not get me, you would have to pay me a lot of money to just like take a dive into the open water out in the ocean. I've seen too many movies. <laughs> I, so I'm, I'd be so scared. Um, but I do love um, like movies where there is sailing involved though, all right? So one of my favorite movies was the very first Pirates of the Caribbean. That was one of my favorites. Um, and then there's this other movie that's one of my faves is with Russell Crowe. Remember, it's Master and Commander. Remember that movie? kind of long. Some people thought it was boring, but like, you know, like all the ship stuff. And then there's this movie, White Squall, that I really appreciated. Jet Bridges, I think, was in that one. And then, of course, my favorite boat movie, Captain Ron with Kurt Russell. That was <laughs> definitely my favorite. Um, but, uh, but I've seen enough boat movies, okay, like sailing movies to know that if you're going to survive on a boat, uh, especially on a sailboat, then you've got to have a good crew, Right? you got to have a good crew. Um, every pirate movie, there's always somebody yell, yelling out, like, batten down the hatches, you know, like, there's a starboard bow, and, like, swab the poop deck. You know, I don't even know what the poop deck is, but, you know, there's always, like, people barking out orders, and it's like, raise the sails, and I mean, there's just so much activity because it takes a whole lot of people to, to sail a ship like that. Have you ever, uh, have you ever uh, like, been flipping through late at night, and you go past ESPN or something, or it's probably, like, ESPN 5 or something where you have like professional sailing competitions. If you've ever like flipped past on ESPN 12 and you've seen and you've seen the sailing competitions, I mean it is intense. It's intense. They are serious. I mean they're everybody's got a job. You know, like everybody's just like doing something and um, you know, it's it's intense. It's because you need a you need a good crew to be able to sail a ship really well. Um, let me transition then into the content of this morning because um, I have the feeling, and you, you've had these, these, this experience too, you've talked to a bunch of people, you've got friends, um, you've got a lot of friends who, who like, if, like if the boat was, was our faith, like if the boat was Jesus, you'd have a lot of your friends and a lot of us would say, man, I, I love the boat, 
Like the boat, I get. I appreciate the boat. But the crew, I don't know if I like the crew. There's just be a, you have plenty of friends. In fact, you've, you've felt this probably in your life too, that like Jesus, like I, I, I like that, you know, but his, his followers, like sometimes just when they get together, I mean, it's frustrating. In fact, there's probably, it's probably been the thing that's pushed people more away, pushed more people away from, from faith in Jesus. You know, it's what's pushed people farther, farthest away. It's, it's not rap music. <laughs> It's not, you know, it's not like anything like in our culture that you could point out and say, that's what's keeping people away from Jesus. The biggest thing that keeps people away from Jesus is people who proclaim to follow Jesus, but, but it's just a, it's a shipwreck. It's just not going well. And so there'd be lots of people that would say, man, I love the ship, but man, those people are always like trying to get people to walk the plank. Um, they're, they're, or they're just laying around, just not doing anything at all, just on the ship. Or, or they're just in a big knife fight with each other all the time. So what do we say to that? Well, um, here's what I'd say. On one hand, critiquing the, the you know, follow, Jesus followers like that, critiquing the church like that, I mean, it, it's complete, on one hand, it's completely warranted. It's completely warranted in the sense that, uh, for sure, there's, you know, the church of Jesus at times can be backwards. It can be frustrating. There's been a failure in the church and, and oftentimes to represent Jesus, represent Jesus well uh, to others. And, uh, and no doubt Jesus, if he were to sort of experience sort of Christ followers and, you know, uh, in our time today, no doubt there'd be things that would make him sad. There'd be things that would make him frustrated. There would be some things certainly that would make him angry. That's on one side. On the other side, what we got to say is this, is that Jesus loves his church. And if we had sort of like a scope to see Christ followers, to see the, the capital C church at work historically through the centuries and all across the globe right now, that we, we would be astounded by its beauty. We would be astounded by its beauty. And I just want to submit that the frustrations that you have with Christ followers or, or church in the past or your friends... We have to acknowledge that it, that's, that experience is just a tiny sliver of the, of the breadth and the, 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 the depth of Christ followers throughout the centuries. And, uh, and, you know, so much good has come from the church. I mean, the church is at work across the globe doing, doing the work of Jesus, truly being the hands and feet of Jesus everywhere it goes. Um, unfortunately, we just, we just live in a time where if you were to write a book critiquing the church, you would sell way more copies than if you wrote a book talking about how great the church was. You just would. And it's just because we have, a, we have a tendency to focus on all the negative things and it makes us lose sight of all the beautiful, wonderful, amazing things that the church is and should be. So this morning, I just want to say if you've been hurt by church or certainly if you've got a bunch of friends that's been hurt by church uh, or church people or however you want to define sort of that word for yourself, um, I just want to say... Uh, yeah, thanks for being here. Thanks for not giving up. Thanks for, thanks for holding on. Um, here's the good news for all of us. The good news for all of us is that within Christianity, Christianity within itself, within the message of the gospel, it has its, it has its own tools to critique and, and, and transform what the, what the church is all about. With, within our faith, we have the ability to be able to look at that stuff honestly, critique it, correct it. Um, and certainly it's easy to criticize the church. It's much harder to engage it, to breathe life into it, to partner with it. 
Um, uh, no doubt all of us work with somebody who has a problem with whatever's going on at the job you know, site. And, you know, they always t- talk to you about how things are broken. And sometimes you get super frustrated because you're like, you're like, man, sounds like you have a, you definitely see a lot of things that are broken. What are, what are your ideas? <laughs> um, how can we fix this together? You've had that conversation before. And it's appropriate that when we talk about the church, we should be honest about just how it's, how it's, how it's broken and how it's hurt. Uh, how it's hurt others, but also we have the, the ability as Christ followers to partner with it, to come alongside with it, to, breathe, to let Christ breathe life into it. So here's my goal today is, uh, is I want individually and corporately. Individually, um, we're going to read this passage of scripture that, that Paul writes to the, this church in Ephesus. Individually, I want to say you need a good crew. You need a good crew. You are not going to survive the shipwrecks of life if you don't have a good crew. Maybe you have a good crew surrounding you. You've got a group of friends, a group of people that know you and and that you can lean on when things get difficult. No, I hope you have that. Maybe you don't. If you don't have that, then I hope I can inspire you you today to to grab hold of that, to do that, to to take the necessary steps to to get that in your life. Um, Corporately, corporately, I'd want to say that we as a church, I just want to speak about Westside here for a second. Isn't it true? I mean, don't don't you, here's my heart for our church. I want to, I want to be the kind of church that even though we're broken and even though we're, we're, we're not perfect, that we are working, we're doing everything we can to try to, to try to model Jesus well to others, to embody him well. That I just want to do everything we can as a church to make sure that we're just, we're following him in such a way that's, that becomes uh, attractive. That, you know, there, we read this passage several times a year, it, you know, from, from the book of uh, Corinthians. And it says that uh, Christ's love compels us. Um, Christ's love compels us. And I think that probably a lot of people aren't compelled by Christ's love because they just haven't engaged or met a compelling Christian, perhaps. Or they haven't encountered a compelling church. And, uh, and I want that to be our church. And certainly it is. There's so many awesome things happening within our midst where we're just modeling Christ well. Um, but I want to take you to a passage of scripture this morning uh, that's going to sort of flesh out just what it looks like for us to be, uh, to be a community together, to be Christ followers together. Um, and uh, Paul is writing uh, to Christians in modern-day Turkey. Ephesus and the surrounding churches is in modern-day Turkey. And, uh, and he's, I'm going to read this whole chapter to you. It's kind of a, a bunch of scripture, but we're going to kind of blaze through. But i got to draw a picture first. Anybody visual learner in the room like me? All right, five of you are. Okay, good. Um, sorry to everyone listening online. You're not going to hear my, or see my picture that I'm drawing. But uh, i got to draw you this picture because Paul has, like, when he's writing... Uh, when, he, he's got, when he's writing, he's got this like vision in, in mind. He's got this picture in mind that's informing everything he's saying. Um, and this is kind of, this is the story that, that, uh, that he's, he's got in his mind. So, so at the beginning, we've got, we've got humanity, all right? Humanity. Humanity starts, and, uh, you know, right at the beginning, in the very first part of Genesis, God makes creation, humanity, and what do you think? Happy emoji face or sad emoji face? What, what is it right at the very beginning? Happy, right? It's a, you know, happy emoji face. All right, things are good. Now, how long do the good times last? 
like two pages, all right? <laughs> like, it doesn't last long. Because then there's this, uh, there's this like comic book kapow right here. And this is the moment where human beings, they're made in God's image. God makes them to, to, be, to, to take this world somewhere, to be, be partners. And, and the stipulation, the thing is, hey, let me be God. Let me be in charge. Let me define good and evil for you. Because, because I, I didn't create you to be able to define that for yourself. It will destroy you if you do that. If you take the reins, it's, it's, you're going to die. There, I mean, there, there's going to be these multiple deaths that sort of take place. But human beings... Say, say, no, we, we want to be God. We don't want you to call the shots. We think you're trying to be, you know, you're, we, think, we, know we, we think you're trying to manipulate us or wear the pants. And, you know, we don't like that. And so, so we want to do that. So humans take that onto themselves and it, and it breaks. It breaks so many things. And what happens is there's this like, there's this splintering. There's this of humanity that, that we just sort of like get launched out into these different people groups. And what, this has caused so much, so much hurt and pain in the world that human beings, they kind of break up into these little groups and these little groups are identified by, you know, there's their, their cultural things and there's, there's beautiful things about all these different cultures and all these different kind of, you know, there's likes and dislikes and all these things about human beings that make us so unique and so different from one another. But what happens because of this, this like pride that enters into us is that each sort of people group sort of splinters off and each one looks at their own heritage and their own way of doing things and their own ways of dressing and their own ways of eating and their own sort of, you know, like racial or, or ethnic backgrounds. And they look at your tribe and you look down your nose at all the other people who aren't like you. And, you know, just think of like every romantic, any high school romantic comedy you've ever seen, all right? And every single romantic comedy you've ever seen, think about like, you know, the movie uh, Mean Girls or She's All That, you know, Freddie Prince Jr., hello. Uh, there's always, there's always this, uh, there's always, you go into the cafeteria and it's, you know, those are the jocks. Those are the nerds, you know, those are the mathletes, those are the, like, this group and this group and this group. And, you know, it's, 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 we get it, you know, we get those stereotypes, but, uh, but what happens because of what this, this breaking that happened here is that then it, it causes this, this, this pride to well up in all sorts of people. And we look down our noses at people who aren't the same skin color as us, people who eat different foods than us. And it just gets weird. It just gets, people just turn into sort of, instead of being humans that we were created to be, we become animals. We, be, we, we just like, you know, we just sort of tear away at other people who aren't like us. Like, oh, you, you eat meat? You're a, you murder cows. Like, oh, yeah, well, you are a vegetarian. You murder carrots, you know? And people just, like, start getting angry at each other. And so what is God going to do with this, with this craziness and brokenness? By the way, we can laugh. We, we laugh at it when it's, like, surface-level stuff like that. But you, you know where this leads. You know right where this leads. This leads to hangings. This leads, do you guys remember 1994? When we turn on the news and we saw what was happening in Africa with, with these two tribes, these two tribes, and what was the difference? Between, it was just that they just had different backgrounds with these two tribes. And they, they don't know, quite know the numbers, but what we know is that it was, it was like the Holocaust of our day, that probably up to three quarters of a million people were, were killed in a very short amount of time with machetes and with guns. Why? Because of, because of this, it's just, oh, it kills us. So what's God going to do? Well, God's going to pick one of these people, 
one of these groups. And God's going to say, listen, I'm calling you out, not because you're morally better than everybody else, but here's, but here's my plan, is, is I'm going to call you out. And who is this? This is Israel. I'm going to call you out and I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you sort of like, I'm going to give you some laws. I'm going to give you the Torah. I'm going to give you these ways to live. And, I, and through you, I'm going to sort of bring everything back together. And, uh, you know, and so, and so, you know, God teaches them how to live, you know, they're, that he's going to sort of like use this, this group of people to, to bring life and health to all others. Um, and, uh, and so how well does Israel do with this task of sort of like being God's ambassadors on earth? How, how well do they do? Not so good, all right? Not so good at all. But God knows this, right? He knows. And so God's going to send God's going to fix it. He's going to make it right. God's going to send Jesus right into the middle of this tribe. And Jesus is going to do this incredible thing. He's going to sort of be the, the human that God created. He's going to be like this, uh, the kind of human that God in, in pictured that we would be, but that because of our sin, we couldn't be. And Jesus steps onto the scene and he's preaching and he's teaching and he's healing. And, and these, these factions of people in Jesus' day that was very diverse, just like ours, He's like bringing people together. He's like crossing boundary lines. Boundary lines that Israel would say, no, we're not going to talk to them. Like, Jesus, you would heal that person? No. Because what had happened is even Israel had taken God's sort of like laws and heritage and they'd used it as a way to look down their noses at other people who weren't like them. And so even they're distorting justice and, and things. And so Jesus comes and here's what Jesus, this is what Paul is picturing of, this is this story that he's telling, is that in Jesus and in Jesus' life-giving sacrifice on the cross, that Jesus is going to sort of like retroactively sort of do something about this kapow all the way back here where he's going to now bring, bring all these groups together. He's going to bring it back. But here's what's, here's what's so beautiful. He's bringing them back not so that they're going to just be all the same. Not so that they'll just have all the same cultural heritage or all the same customs or all the same food and all the same ways of dressing and eating. No, no, no. Jesus isn't going to create just like, uh, like one kind of person. Here's what's going to happen. Is through Jesus and through the cross, there becomes this, this new family. This new family. It's like, this, like a new humanity. A new humanity, or we could call it the church. And through Jesus, the common denominator is, is we all sort of come in here, we look at the cross, and we look at our heritage, we look at our lives, we look at our good deeds, we look at everything, and we say, you know what, I'm not better than anybody else. I'm not going to get through with my per just because of my performance. No, I need grace. And so we look to Jesus for this grace, for his life-giving love that he gives us. And through, through this, now there's this, this common ground at the foot of the cross where now we become this, this big, supersized, supersized family. This is the vision that Paul is, is trying to help us see here. And because of the resurrection, this is my... That's my picture of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, now we, we have this new life. We're not alone. We have his spirit in us to help us be this new kind of family. Listen to what Paul's words are, and you're just going to see this story sort of, sort of unfolding. Listen to this. Starting in verse, uh, verse 1, chapter 4, Ephesians. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. 
Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, and he, kinda, he quotes from the Old Testament, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. That's a whole sermon series all right there of what that means, all right? But he goes on, listen. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity. There's that word again. Unity in the faith and then in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see what he's saying here? He says, like, we're, we're one. We get in through the same way. But then when we become a part of this family, we're becoming, we're becoming like this, like exactly what God created us to be, that we have a chance in our community now, in our communities, to be this new humanity that we get to be. But we're not alone. Christ is with us to help us do this. And you notice that he uses the word unity several times, unity, which we could tend to think that unity means uh, uniformity, means all the same. But notice the illustration that he uses, and Paul uses it other places. It is so brilliant and helpful. Notice that he uses the illustration of a body. He uses a body, that, we're, that we're, we're, we're one body in Christ. And there's so many different applications for what this can mean. Because your body, your, think about your body. Your body um, is, is unified. It works together. When it's working how it's supposed to, it's just, it works. It's a miracle. It's incredible. And it's a miracle and it's incredible that it works even though the different parts are so diverse, right? They're so different. And Paul makes this point elsewhere where he says like, hey, you've got a hand and you've got a spleen. I don't know where it is, right? Somewhere here, there's a spleen, right? I don't know. Uh, somebody else should give this part of the talk. Um, and, and Paul's like, his point is like, this is incredible. That a hand, what, does a hand look like a spleen? I hope not. That would be, that'd be strange. No, they look so different. And they have these different functions. They're so, but yet at the same time, they're unity together. They're working together. And Paul uses this picture uh, to try to describe what this beautiful thing called the new humanity, that, that God's, God's church, that within, within his church, there's this deep, deep unity. And yet there's so much diversity that is really, really cool that we can have that within the body of Christ. Um, and uh, what Paul's trying to get at is that in this model, when we were sort of steeped in our sin back here, what's the easiest way to form community? The easiest way to form community, and this has been the case for centuries and centuries, the easiest way for human beings to form community is to find a common enemy. That's the quickest and easiest and the cheapest way of building community around something is you just find a common enemy. You look down your noses at other, you compare, you make yourself feel better by tearing down other people that aren't like you. 
That's how you create unity in this, in, in the old, in the flesh, as Paul would say in other places. This is how just our flesh works. And by the way, I don't want to get like too weird on you, but this, the, the scriptures also talk about that there's not just us, not just our sin, that there's like spiritual forces at work in our world. And that, you know, that there's, there's, there's these forces. This stopped working. Whatever. Um, there are the, there's these forces at work. You know, we could call them Satan, demons, that there's these, there's these liars at work in the midst of all of this that are whispering to us, yeah, of course you're better than them. Of course you're better than them. So we have all these things at play. But then Jesus comes and what Paul's trying to say is, no, 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 this is going to be all done and gone away with. That we don't have to live this way anymore. And that we get to be a body. That means we get to have all the diversity in the world and all these different customs. But yet through Christ, we know it, ta- it takes away our pride. It takes away our ability to look down our noses, our noses down at anybody. That's what the gospel does. Is because if you're sitting at the foot of the cross and you look up and you know that you're saved just by grace, just because God loves you, you didn't do anything for it. He didn't look at you and say, oh, you've got this something special, therefore you're better than everybody else. No, the cross just tears that out of you. The cross tears away at your racism. The, the cross tears away at your arrogant pride. And it launches you into a new family where now you can have distinctions. Oh, yes, you can have all sorts of distinctions. But it doesn't need to, need to destroy the, the unity that comes with being followers of Jesus. I've got a great example for you. I've got to take you to, it's another place in Scripture in the book of Acts where it tells us the story of the early church. Listen to this. This is, this is incredible. Uh, uh, Acts chapter 13. It's given us a little list of some of the leaders in the early church. Um, it's from Acts chapter 13. It says this. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. That's the list of some of the leaders in the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 13. Uh, let's break it down. Who's Barnabas? Uh, well, Barnabas' name originally is Joseph, but you know you're in with the apostles when the apostles give you a nickname. And that's what happened with Barnabas. Barnabas is like, hey, I'm Joseph. And they're like, no, we've been watching you. You're pretty encouraging. You're Barnabas. And he's like, no, my mom called me Joseph. And they're like, sorry, we love your mom, but you're Barnabas. And so Barnabas, you know, he gets this new name because he's encouraging. And, uh, you know, and he's from Cyprus. He's, in, he's a Hellenistic Jew. He's, there's different kind of families of, of Jewish people in the day. And he's a particular brand of, uh, of, a, of a Jewish guy from that day. Let's talk about Manny. We'll call him Manny. Manny, and, Manny is a friend. It tells us specifically. It goes out of its uh, Luke goes out of his way to tell, us, to tell us that he grew up with Herod the Tetrarch. This interesting little tidbit of information that we're told there in that passage. Why does Luke want to tell us that? Well, um, we know a little bit from the New Testament about the Herods. It's a, it's a family of people. Let's just say that if you looked up your ancestry.com and you saw the Herods in the back there, that's not good news for you. <laughs> it's, not, it's not necessarily a good thing. Um, Herod the Great, we know who he is because we talk about him at Christmas time. He's the one that was so threatened by Jesus and maybe that Jesus, this new king was going to take his throne, that he ordered that all the, the, the children um, in the region were to be slaughtered, were to be killed. We know about Herod the Great, that he, uh, that he executed his brother-in-law and his mother-in-law, and he had his second wife executed. You could call this a dysfunctional family, all right? Um, 
Herod the Tetrarch is different. He's not Herod the Great, but he's a, he's a descendant. He's also a train wreck. I mean, we don't know a whole lot about him. We know he married his stepbrother's ex-wife, which makes for an awkward family reunion. Um, we know that uh, Her- with this Herod comes in the story at, at, at uh, you know, when we talk about Good Friday, where we talk about Jesus being crucified, and nobody knows what to do with Jesus, and so they bring him to Herod. And Herod uh, doesn't really know much about Jesus besides that he thinks he's a miracle worker. So he's like, hey, David Blaine's in town. Like, bring him in and we'll have him do some party tricks. And, you know, like he'll entertain the crowd. Jesus shows up. Jesus doesn't do any party tricks. And Herod's just like, well, fine. We'll then just take him and crucify him. And Luke goes out of his way to tell us that Manny was a childhood friend of Herod the Tetrarch. So that means that probably, uh, that we're pretty sure that, that Manny was, was, is very affluent. He comes from a very prominent family, and he rubbed shoulders growing up with, uh, with the Herods. And then here's Simeon, Simeon called Niger. Simeon is of an unknown origin. We don't know where he's from, but we know that we called him Niger, which is Latin for black. And all historians and all commentators will say that we don't know much about this man, but what we do know is that his skin was black. And he's a leader in the church at Antioch. And then we have Lucius from Cyrene. Um, we don't know much about him, but he, Cyrene is, is in present-day Libya. So we know that he's an African as well. And then we have Saul, or, you know, Paul, but previously known as Saul. And what do we know about Saul? Saul was a, was a Christian killer. He, was, he had Christians stoned. I mean, he persecuted the church. His life got twisted around. And listen, Luke goes out of his way to give us a list. This is exactly like a reality television show is what this is. Luke's point is to say, look at these people that got put into a house and just to see if they would actually like get along with one another. I mean, this is, the gr- uh, this is a group of people in that day and age that were, that were raised to despise one another that were raised to look down their noses at one another. So diverse, so different. And you know what we see is through the cross of Jesus Christ, those, dis- those, those distinctions remain. They're so different, and yet they're a, f- a new family. There's a unity that's taken place because of the gospel. And Luke goes out of his way to tell us, look at this ragtag, diverse group of people who are leading the church all the way back in Acts 15. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can do that. It's incredible, unheard of in that day. Let me go on. Ephesians 4, he goes on. Verse 14. Then, then, if we get here, we get here, then, he says, we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every word of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Jesus Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Love this. It says everybody, so much diversity, but everybody's got a role to play. This is so great. I mean, do you see what this does? I mean, you see where this is heading? This, this, this says that we, the West Side, doesn't get to say, look at First Baptist. Man, those guys, what are they doing over there? Do you see, do you see how this tells us that, no, no, we need First Baptist in our city. Do you see, how, do you see what that does for us? 
Do you see how it makes us look outwardly beyond ourselves? And we don't say, no, this is how Westside does it and other people are doing it different. No, see, the gospel just takes that away from us. It gives unity, which is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing here in our congregation. It's a beautiful thing in our city with so many different kinds of churches in our town. How dare we look, our nose down, look down our nose at anyone in our city because they might be doing things differently, you know, that are, who are following Christ. I'll move on. He says this. He says, uh, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated, separated, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they're full of greed. What Paul's basically saying is he's saying that God created us to be this new humanity, but when we live like this, we, we, we reduce our humanity. We start to live like animals, and we start to treat each other like animals. And essentially, we become like animals when we live that way. And Jesus paves a way out of that for us. Listen, verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus... You were taught with regard to your former way of life uh, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may, be, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Get rid of bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, all the things that come when we live like this. He says, get rid of it, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Um, so let me, let me land the plane for us today. Um, if this is true... And if the resurrection really means that we get to be a new kind of family, a new kind of humanity, that the church gets to do that, um, then a couple things have got to happen. It means that you got to let the gospel melt your pride. We have to let the gospel melt our pride. That's what it does. That's what it's designed to do. And also, you have to know this. Is, is, is this living like this, is this easy? Everybody go like this. Is this easy? Come on, get Pentecost. Somebody get Pentecostal on me. Like, speak up. Is this easy? Say, no. This is hard living like this. I mean, in fact, it's, in, fact in some ways, it's, it's more destructive, but it's easier to live like this. But living like this is hard to live like that. To, to have our distinctions, to be different, and yet to be unified and to love each other through it. And it's so easy, and this is what so happens to so many of us, 
is, especially in our culture where we're fragmented and distant and, you know, we're we're just so good at sort of being alone with things and not going towards community, we are so easily run away from community because it's hard. So when things get a little bit too personal, when things get a little bit too close, or in a community like this, if somebody confronts you about something because maybe, you know, there was some words and, you know, maybe somebody got offended and so somebody goes to you and talks to you and says, hey, this really hurt me, like that starts to get real, doesn't it? And it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily feel quite good. We don't know what to do with it. And so what we often do is we run. We run from this. And yet, this is exactly the, the kind of training ground that God wants to use to shape you, to mold you, to make you look more like him. Because see, if, if we just decide that we're not going to, you know, that a, an environment like this, we don't need a group of people like this. We can just follow Jesus on our own. What you'll end up doing if you take that route is you'll end up hanging out with, with only really the people that are like you. You'll, uh, you'll invite people over who you like to hang out with. You'll invite people over that have the same political views as you. You'll invite people over that, you know, eat this, like the same kind of foods as you. And what you'll end up doing is you'll create a group of people that look very much like you. And then it just makes it so easy for you to start looking at the other groups that aren't like yours and saying, I can't believe them. They're not cool like us. And then it starts again. And the powers are here whispering into your ear the whole time. Living like this is challenging because you know what? Being a part of a community like this, it means that you're going to be sitting next to people who rub you the wrong way. They're very different than you. They got some different political views than you do. What are you supposed to do with that? I'll tell you what you're supposed to do with that. Is you're living in the new humanity where, there, where there's distinctions and differences. And yet, even in the midst of all that, we are doing the heavy lifting of loving one another, even when it's hard. In fact, I think Jesus said something about even loving your enemies. And so if Jesus tells us to love our enemies, then how can we not be in a group of people like this where sometimes we're going to hurt each other, we're going to wrong each other? In in this model, are you ever going to get angry at each other? Yes. In fact, doesn't Paul talk about that very thing right here? You notice what he says? Does he say, don't get angry and don't sin? No, he doesn't say that at all. He says, in your anger, don't sin. He's acknowledging that in this, in this model, even where we're, we're, we're a new humanity, we're a church together, that we're going to tick each other off sometimes. That you're going to make somebody angry, that you're going to say something dumb, and, you know, maybe it was, an, it was you know, you just didn't mean to come out, come out wrong, and, you know, whatever, and somebody hears about it, and we're just going to offend one another. That's just going to happen. In fact, maybe it's already happened today. <laughs> maybe like you came in and you know, felt like somebody ignored you. And so even like right in that moment, you start sort of filling in the gap with suspicion. Why didn't she say hi to me? Is she angry at me? Well, I'm angry at her, you know, or like whatever it is. And we just like let it seep in. Maybe I've said something this morning that's like bugged you. I'm sorry, all right? I mean, it's just we're human beings. Paul recognizes we're humans. But yet in this new family, we do it different. We, even though we're going to get angry at each other, we choose not to sin. And what what does Paul say? What does it look like to not sin in your anger? He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. What does that mean? It means that people are going to make you angry, for sure. In this community, you're going to, there's going to be offenses. There's going to be stuff. But you know what? The way we don't sin against each other is when something happens, 
We choose not to stew on it. We choose not to go take that hurt and go talk to this person and that person about it. Because you know why we do that, right? Is we, we want to get people on my side. Because I want to create my little group. So I can look down my, my nose at the other little group. You know, and then all of this starts again. And we get pulled back into this. And it kills unity. What Paul is saying that makes this community legit isn't that we never have offenses and we never have frustrations with one another. What Paul is saying, what makes this point to Jesus is that even in the midst of our brokenness, we are choosing to seek each other out. We're choosing to do the hard work of just being vulnerable and honest with one another. We're, 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 we're making the intentional decision to not talk to eight other people first, but I'm going to come just directly to you and I'm going to say, hey, there's something off. And if the gospel means anything, it means that we, out of everyone, anyone on the planet, should be able to come to one another and say, I'm sorry. Our relationship is hurt. How can we fix it? Because if Jesus went to the ends of the earth for relationship with you, then you can... Of course, you can fight for relationship with one another. When a community is doing that, gosh, guys, I tell you, the world stands back in wonder and amazement. The world looks at a community like that and says, how in the world can they do that? How can they be so diverse? How can there be Democrats and Republicans and Independents and Green Party, you know, and then everyone in the same room and they can, have, they can have conversations and they can have disagreements, but yet there's this unity, there's this peace in the midst of it when all that other stuff is just breaking every, when, you know, breaking Facebook and breaking everything else and everybody's just offended at everybody else all the time. How can this group of people come with all that diversity and they, and they love each other and there's a unity around the cross that is powerful, powerful. So, um, here's the takeaway. Um, in a second, not yet banned, um, I'll, I'll invite you up in a second, but in a second, we're just gonna respond this morning. And we're gonna respond by taking communion. Um, communion's a powerful thing. You take, that, you take that bread that represents Jesus' body and the juice that represents his blood, and, and you go, <laughs> just try this. I mean, it's, 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 it's powerful because it's, it's supernatural is what it is. But if you've got bitterness in your heart towards somebody else, I dare you just to like go and take communion and just be like, everything's fine. <laughs> just try that. It's just going to be so hard for you to do. Because if there's like something in you, man, when you approach the bread and the cup and you recognize that Jesus died to have a relationship, he died so that I could leave this behind and enter this new humanity. How could I not go and make things right with this other person? How could I, how could I not go and just, and just fight for relationship to try to make peace and reconciliation happen? Communion will do that to you. It'll just mess with you. It'll punch you right in the gut. And that's exactly what we need. Amen? We need it. So here's the takeaway. We're going we're gonna to sing a, a final song. We're gonna, I'm going to invite you to take communion. And uh, just let it, let it punch you in the gut this morning. For, for some of us in the room, you are arrogant and prideful and you think you're better than other people. And it's killing your friendships. 
It's killing you. You're finding that you don't have a very solid crew. And I'll tell you why. It's because you keep stabbing them in the back. Nobody wants to be on your crew because they feel it from you. The gospel's big enough to melt that away. Would you let it melt that away today? If you're, if you're holding anything like that, just let the cross just melt it away. If you're here, maybe you're on the other side of that coin. Maybe, maybe you feel like you just don't belong no matter what you do. You just feel like you don't belong to, to, to God's crew. Maybe it's because of your past and you feel like you've done too much. Or maybe, or maybe you've just been burned in the past and, and, and you just feel like you're a loner and you just can't belong anywhere. Listen, you belong. You can belong here. Because in the new family, you get, to be, you get to be you, but you get to be better than you. You get to be more than you. That God's going to transform us all in the midst of this powerful community that he calls the church. Let's let it do it for us this morning.